Okay, the uh, series is called Solomon's Search for Meaning, and the sermon is called Foolproof Part 2. There's wisdom passages within Ecclesiastes. After all, Solomon was the wisest man alive. He also wrote most of the Proverbs. So the book is mostly philosophy and reflection on life, but then he'll give some wisdom principles that we can grab onto. And Solomon is going to talk to us today about how to foolproof our lives. In chapter 10, verse 1, he already said, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he's a fool. These are folly principles, wisdom principles we started to look at last week. Generally, what he's saying is this. In life, we are all searching for meaning and purpose, something that transcends the routine day in and day out. On that journey, we're going to face many hardships, and so we have to be wise. And when it comes to folly, he makes it clear, a little folly is all that it takes to stink up your life. One fly in the perfume ruins the whole fragrance. But he says it won't stay there. There's a choice, and a wise man will go to the right, a fool will go to the left, and in verse 3, the fool ends up showing everyone he's a fool. A little folly will become a life of folly. So we have to be careful to get on the road of wisdom. The first thing you can write down is this. Life is uncertain and full of peril, so be wise. Life is uncertain and full of peril, so be wise. I shared last week that Solomon cycles around when he talks about wisdom. So if you only read one verse about wisdom, you might actually misinterpret what he's saying. Sometimes he's saying life is so unpredictable, what's the point of trying to figure it out? And then you might be like, yeah, that's it, I'm done. Well, no, you got to know the whole cycle, okay? Here's the cycle of wisdom we learned uh, last week. You can put that graph up there. It goes from seek wisdom. He, it's an imperative. He, he says you got to get after it. Though the search is endless, you'll never be done. You'll never be done figuring out the best way to live. Because it gives great advantage. Generally speaking, life will be better if you're being wise. But no guarantees. Even the wise will suffer while you prepare for eternity. Seek wisdom, though the search is endless, because it gives great advantage, but no guarantees while you prepare for eternity, you're still going on to the next life. Do you see how, on this cycle, he's focusing in this passage on no guarantees and seek wisdom, because it gives great advantage. Those are the ones that he's focusing in on. Hey, life is uncertain and full of peril, so be wise. Wisdom has its limits, but that's no excuse to get off the right path. Okay, now our passage starts in verse 4. He's going to give us some practical proverbs here. They're like life hacks. Generally speaking, these behaviors will get you out of trouble. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So jot this down. Life is uncertain and full of peril, so be wise by reacting calmly in a crisis. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The idea here is a ruler blows up at you, and you're stunned and staggered, uh, and you've got a choice here. Uh, are you going to run off? Are you going to quit? Are you going to resign? Are you going to blow up back? Are, what are you going to do in the crisis? And he's talking about the future. So let me talk to you about your future. It's coming this week. 
you're going to be caught off guard by someone who's coming at you hard. They're going to be really upset. They're going to have a lot to say. You're not going to know how to respond. The Bible is getting you ready for that moment right now. It says that if the anger of the ruler rises against you, don't leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. The root of calmness could go two ways. It could mean heal, meaning you're kind of repairing the situation, or relax, means you're just kind of cooling down. Either way, it means you're responding with self-control. You're not leaving your place. That means if the ruler's on his way and you don't even know what he's upset about yet, or he's in your face and you don't know what to do, you're just going to play it cool. You're not going to throw things. You're not going to shout. You're not going to repay evil with evil. Boy, is there a greater example of this than at the Oscars recently. How many of you saw the moment when Will Smith got up from the crowd, walked onto the stage, and slapped Chris Rock across the face? Raise your hand if you saw it live. Here's a picture of it. Lauren and I were in a hotel room because we were visiting a college with Cassie, and we were, I mean, just watching TV. And so we were watching the Oscars, and we saw this happen, and we were like, oh, is this planned? And then Will Smith goes back and sits down, and then they're talking a little bit, and then suddenly it's like, beep, 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 and Will Smith is like saying things, and we're like, oh no, this was not planned. He's very angry. Well, we know now what happened. Will Smith just lost his cool. He was upset about a joke Chris Rock made about his wife, walked up in front of millions of viewers, and totally humiliated himself. In the moment, nobody knew what had really happened, so they didn't know how to respond. Now we know. And um, Will Smith has been since banned from the Oscars for 10 years. And here's what they say about Chris Rock. They said he saved the show. Why? Because he put his hands behind his back, he got slapped across the face, and he just did nothing to escalate the situation. Now look, it could have gotten physical and ugly, Will Smith probably would have taken him because he's bigger. But Chris Rock, is there anyone on the planet who could think of something right quick to slice you and dice you in that moment? He could have torn him to shreds. The self-control, the composure that he reflected in that moment is commendable. The world knows that that's a commendable thing. Now look, reacting calmly in a crisis is a, a trademark of a wise person. Don't leave your place. Don't quit. Don't run off. Don't impulsively react. Wisdom will avert great disaster. And I want you to know that you will, this week, face this choice. Now, maybe you're not on camera in front of millions of people about to win an award. Uh, maybe it's just you and your two-year-old, and she pushed the, your last button. And only the dog will know if you lose your cool. And Jesus, but the dog, right? I don't know what it's going to be, where you're going to be when, you know, your teenager kind of sasses you for the last time, your spouse forgets something you asked them to do. I don't know when you're going to crack, but I know this week a coworker's going to drop the ball, you're going to feel misunderstood, and you're going to be tempted to lose it. I was at the McDonald's drive through last week on the way home. Jared said he wants chicken nuggets and a shake. Fine. I don't usually go to McDonald's, but there I am at night, and I'm pulling up to get the nuggets and the shake, and while I'm about up to the window, a car screeches around and pulls in front of me, and I'm like, huh? And a woman gets out of the driver's seat, 
and she's mad. And she walks up to the window that's open, and she goes, you forgot my drink! And then the bleepity bleep started. And then on the inside, apparently that girl was a fighter too, because she lurched out the window, and I thought I was going to have to get out and, and, and stop an altercation. They were going at it. And then this other girl got in her car, screeched away. I pull up, the window's closed, and I heard all this commotion behind the window. And then the window opens, and she goes, I'm sorry you had to see that. And I'm like, hey, I'm nice. <laughs> I'm sorry that happened to you. She goes, yeah, she was giving it to me when she got her order, swearing at me through. And I'm like, it's McDonald's. What? You never know when you're going to lose it. Um, have you observed that people are just more tense lately? Have you? Don't you feel more tense lately? Hey, listen, get ready and stay ready to stay calm this week. Number one, life is uncertain, full of peril. So be wise by reacting calmly in a crisis. It continues to describe here in verse 5, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun. Under the sun means life as it is after the curse was given in the garden. It's life in all of its beauty and ugliness. It's life in all of its routine. It's life. The Bible is very honest about the seasons of life. But this is called an evil. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun. As it were, an error, it's wrong, proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So this can make it even worse. He's suggesting here that this ruler who's losing his cool doesn't even belong being a ruler. So he's coming to give it to you. And, and, and Solomon's like, yep, there's, a, there's the evil and the error of appointing the fool to be a ruler. And maybe that will add insult to injury, that you're having to endure this from someone who you don't respect, someone who you could actually find a legitimate way to say, you got some stuff on me, I've got some stuff on you. That makes it even harder to just stay cool. Reacting calmly in a crisis. Life is uncertain and full of perils, so be wise. Jot this down, even though misfortune will find you. Even though misfortune will find you. Now in verse 8, he lays out a few scenarios that just reflect some, some examples of people just doing their job. They're, they're doing their job and something bad happens to them. It says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. The iron is blunt, one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. So beginning at verse 8, it says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. Now the translators in the ESV put will, but you could also translate this that it's a possible thing, not a certain thing. So he who digs a pit could fall into it, and a serpent could bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries logs might be hurt by them. Um, it seems more like it's painting some hypothetical situations, not certainties. It doesn't feel like it's actually that fatalistic in the original language. It's more like, hey, if you're out working, bad things can happen. 
and, and you didn't even do anything to deserve it. So misfortune will find you. Key advantages to life include being wise and having an ongoing awareness of God's sovereignty. But guess what? That will not protect you from misfortune. So the challenge first is be wise, then someone's coming at you, and you're still wise, and then something bad happens to you, and you're like, what did I do to deserve this? This is the next challenge for sustaining a wise life. You're like, I did the wise thing. And, and then something totally that I didn't deserve happened. It's called misfortune. And these are just accidents. Sometimes in Proverbs, it talks about a wicked person like digging a pit and they fall into it. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is just possible misfortune scenarios. And maybe this has happened to you recently. Maybe in your life, you've just been going along with your business. You haven't been really doing anything to get yourself in trouble. And then something happened and you're like, what? what? And it might even be like, how did this happen? Like, it's so unlikely that this misfortune found me and you're wondering, did I do something wrong? And you're kind of upset because you think you didn't do something wrong, but a bad thing happened to you. These are like those palm face moments where you're like, how did this happen? Um, and, and so accidents and misfortune will find you. Now, I shared last week that some people are like accident prone. Do you remember that? I shared like three of the most accident prone people. I've got another one for you today. Here's a picture. Uh, this, this woman is... Ann Hodges. And in 1954, in Alabama, she was taking a nap on the couch, and a meteor crashed through her ceiling and struck her in the side. Ten pounds, if it hit her in the chest or the head, it would have killed her. She's the only person ever known to have been struck by a meteorite. What are the odds? I'm just trying to take a nap. Bam! Maybe you feel like an accident-prone person. Maybe you're married to an accident-prone person. Again? I don't know. Maybe you feel unlucky. Now listen, I'm not saying that because there are things like this that happen, that God is not in control of the universe. He actually is. But within his sovereignty, he allows things that just seem crazily like, what are the odds? And they will hurt you. And listen, there's nothing you can do about that. Even though misfortune will find you, you have to choose to stay on the wise path. Accidents will happen. That's why we're required to have car insurance, right? They don't wait around and they're like, oh, she gets into accidents. She needs to go get some insurance. Like, you have to have it. Uh, here's a picture of mayhem, right? Mayhem, all those commercials of why we need car insurance, why we should get Allstate, because life is full of mayhem. Why do you think in Florida there's, uh, there's zero fault, no liability for car accidents? Because they don't want to deal with the causes of it. Accident, you're both paying. Done. <laughs> we just live in a world where there are accidents and liability. Here's the thing. Wisdom can prevent a lot of life's hardships. It can and it will, but it, it won't prevent everything. Now, here's the thing. Even with wisdom, a life lived wisely didn't prevent an accident from happening. It will prepare you for that. So wisdom is always the better way to live. Maybe you felt recently like, why am I the one trying to take the high road here? 
Not only are people disrespecting me, but life just keeps knocking me over. And maybe you're on the brink of deciding to start allowing a lot more or a little more folly into your life. Do you see how practical this is? How Solomon's like, nope, even one fly in the ointment ruins the fragrance. If you just even start a little gossip and slander at your workplace about your boss, right? If you just even allow a little uh, cutting corners financially, it's going to take you down a road. And eventually, soon, there will be a lot of it, and then your life will be marked by it. Life is uncertain and full of peril. We have to be wise by reacting calmly in a crisis, even though misfortune will find you. Jot this down. By choosing your words carefully. By choosing your words carefully. So it says here in verse, uh, in verse 11 or 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? So we have to choose words carefully. We have to check our speech. Is it careless or is it careful? Especially in this context around authority figures. Um, but in general, is your speech careful or careless? Um, so when it comes to uh, when it comes to your speech, a good idea, a good picture of keeping your speech pure is that of a, of a filter. How many of you have a water filter at home? Like you have a pitcher or on your sink you have a filter, um, right? So our filter, you push a button and it, it says green or red. It's, it's working or it's not working. It's good or it's bad. And then we have to change out the filter when it goes bad. Uh, when it comes to your speech, how's your filter right now? Do you feel like you've just been guarding your speech, guarding the gate of your mouth at home, at work, in church, or do you feel like the filter needs to be changed out? Uh, we, uh, we had an issue with, uh, at home because our, our ice maker was somewhat malfunctioning, and the ice started to have a bit of an odor to it, and we were like, it smelled like pepper almost, and we were like, what is that? So we Googled it, and it's like, well, you might need a new ice maker, you might need a filter, but check your water because it could be the water, there could be contaminants, and I was like, oh dear. So I went on Amazon. I actually brought, brought it here, but I think I forgot it in the back room. And you can buy a water test kit on Amazon for like 25 bucks. So I, so I bought, it, bought it. It came. I pulled it out of the box. And there's a list of 15 different contaminants that can be in your water. And they've got them all right on the bottle there. And they show a healthy range. And I was like, oh, dear. And you pull out a test strip, put it in your water, shake it. And within 10 seconds, it gives you this readout of all these like 10 uh, or 15 different contaminants, and I'm waiting there like, are we going to die? <laughs> what contaminants are in our water? And then the colors start to appear, and I was like, oh, okay, we're good. Phew. Maybe we can see God's Word as like that test kit for our speech. How are, how are you doing with slander or gossip? How are you doing at cursing or outbursts of anger. Like, where, where are those contaminants showing up? Levels of those contaminants in your life. This might be a good week to choose your words carefully, to get that filter swapped out. Because choosing your words carefully is a mark of wisdom. Jot this down. And by working hard and being responsible. Life is uncertain and full of peril. Be wise. React calmly. Misfortune's going to find you. Choose your words carefully, 
and work hard and be responsible. It says in verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him. He doesn't even know the way to the city. It gets lost or makes excuses. I don't know how to find my way or you know, works hard and then travels three times as long as he needs to to get home. We don't know what it means. It just means that he's out lost. Uh, And the toil of a fool wearies him. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Now this is the leaders again who are not working. They're partying at sunup. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility. Your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Working hard and being responsible is a mark of wisdom. Verse 18, though through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Are you working hard? Are you being responsible? It seems like these two verses actually, up in verse uh, 10 and 11, almost highlight the value of working with wisdom. It says if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he's got to use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Meaning if you're smart enough to sharpen the axe, you're going to work less. You see how wisdom ties into an easier workload? If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. Well, great, you learned how to charm a snake, but then you foolishly reached in and got yourself bit. (laughs) Foolishness hurts you on the job. Wisdom protects you. Hey, are you working hard? Are you working wisely? I don't know what your job is, but are you slacking? phoning it in or doing your very best? Are you working in a way that shows you're motivated that you, by wanting to do all things for Christ? The Bible says whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. I've had a lot of jobs in my life. First job was McDonald's. I was a fry cook. Wasn't a Christian, so it's okay that I slacked. Then I got a job at Walmart pushing carts. Then I got saved so I had to figure out what it meant to push carts to the glory of Christ. And I did it. Then I was a performing DJ. I'd go to weddings and do the Macarena. And I would pray before every wedding that I would glorify God. And then I'd dance like an idiot. And somehow that got him glory. Then I was a teacher and now I'm a pastor. I don't know what you do. You can work hard. You can be responsible. Maybe it's time to raise the bar. Number one, life is full of peril so be wise. By reacting calmly in a crisis, even though misfortune will find you, choosing your words carefully, working hard, and being responsible. Now, number two, jot this down. Life is uncertain and full of peril, so don't be foolish. (laughs) Do be wise. Don't be foolish. There's a do and a don't. Well, if life seems so pointless and misfortune's going to find me and people are going to disrespect me, why not just lower the bar? and do the least. No, no, no. To the contrary. Because life is already so hard, don't make it worse by being foolish. One principle we see here that you can write down is this. Don't empower or rely on fools. Write that down. Don't empower or rely on fools. The idea here in verse 5 and 6 is folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. Generally, what it means here is not that the rich are better or that they deserve. What it means here generally is you're assuming the rich person brings social advantage and is living wisely, therefore they're prospering, and you assume the fool is a fool and he has no business getting that job, getting that promotion, getting that position. When that happens in life, when you promote someone or rely on them and they're a fool, that will hurt you. And it will hurt you in a special way. In Proverbs, 
relying on the fool is described as one of the biggest ways you can bring ruin into your life. This could also include your friendships. This could include the people who you're surrounding yourself with. Oh, maybe you picked four great friends to go out for the night, but the one bad friend could land you all behind bars. (laughs) It's just one. And it's been said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Relying on, bonding with, promoting fools will fill your life with folly. And if you promote someone or hire someone or entrust them and they're a fool, they will hurt other people too. Now, we don't know the motives here. Maybe it's nepotism. Maybe it's, well, I know him. He's a buddy. You know, maybe it's because you didn't do your due diligence. I don't know. But the point is, a fool got power. Don't empower or rely on fools because they will make you pay. Um, This specifically kind of describes government issues here, right? Folly is set in many high places. Slaves on horses, princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now, I know this might surprise you to know, but in the ancient world, some members of the government actually proved to be incompetent. I know. Things were primitive back then. We live in a much more advanced civilization today, so you might have to use your imagination. But there were people in power who were incompetent and they were hurting others. Read up, Google it if you want to know. Okay. Now, folly in leadership can do great damage to a nation, can do great damage to a neighboring nation, to a workplace, even to a church. Leaders who are childish, harsh, overbearing, deceptive, incompetent, unwise, or unstable can bring a lot of turmoil into a lot of people's lives. You probably have experienced that, where you were under the leadership of a fool. And maybe they were acting foolish because they were wicked. Maybe they were acting foolish because they were desperate. I don't know. But you probably have stories of when a fool was at the wheel and you got into a 10-car pileup because of it. And you couldn't avoid it because they were in charge. Maybe you're in that car pileup right now, and you're like, we've got to get this person off the driver's seat. I don't know. But I have a feeling that you understand exactly what I'm saying. Life is uncertain and full of peril, so don't be foolish. Don't empower or rely on fools. Jot this down. Don't speak endless, empty, wicked things. Don't speak endless, empty, wicked things. So it talks about the words here in verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Grace. Result of the speaking is grace. There's a a great response to a wise man when he speaks. Um, The words are edifying to those around him. And the words bring a blessing to him or her. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win in favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Now that picture is supposed to be like a joke. The lips of a fool consume him. Meaning what's on the menu? If you're a fool and you keep talking, it's like you're on the menu. You're eating yourself alive. Cause of death? Your words! Now, this is life or death. If you can't get your mouth under control, it could cost you, yes, your job, yes, your marriage, yes, your friendships, yes, your life. Life and death. 
Proverbs says, are in the power of the tongue. Your words can cost you eternity in paradise. There's going to be a section of judgment with all of your words. If that was the only thing you were judged on, there would be enough to put you away for eternity. Wow! Wow! Our words have such power. And so we, be, we should be really careful not to speak endless, empty, wicked things. It goes on to say uh, in verse 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and at the end of his talk is evil madness. So the fool starts to say foolish things, and you're like, huh, that doesn't seem to line up in reality. Then in the middle, it's like, huh, that's getting really out there. And then by the end, you're like, you're a raving fool. The train just keeps going off the tracks further and further. It doesn't get any better. The more the fool talks, the further down the dark path they go. Verse 14, a fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. So this is a, an area of ignorance. Can't figure it out, keeps talking. Who can tell him what will be after him? So here's what we see. We see endless words. How are you doing at knowing when to stop talking? When to listen? When you've said all that you know about something? How are you doing at not being a know-it-all or a bragger or a complainer about problems that can't be solved? Or a challenger who won't stop undermining people in authority? How are you doing at making sure the quantity of your words is under control? I've said enough. I shouldn't say much more. I don't know. How are you doing at the quantity of your words? Asking questions is a great way to pivot the conversation. Yeah, let me ask you what you think about that. Now you're listening. And uh, generally speaking, the older we get in life, the more we're tempted to have our ears get smaller and our mouth get bigger. But you know what? The wise person, the opposite happens. Your ears get bigger and your mouth gets smaller. That's wisdom. How are you doing at avoiding empty words? Empty means ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about. Or it means uninformed. You, you're speaking on something you can't speak to. Or, or you, don't, you can't back it up. You're all talk. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're overcompensating for something that you don't know how to do. Or you have no follow-through. You said you are going to do something. Those are empty words. Those are ex- how are you doing at making sure the quality of your words are backed by your integrity and your actions? Empty words. That could also mean you're, you're truthful. What about wicked words? How are you doing at avoiding wicked words? Endless, empty, wicked things. Wicked just means it's outright filth. It's just wrong. It's, it's just pure sin. It can be divisive. It can be immoral. It can be deceptive. It can be slanderous. It could be malicious. How, how are you doing at avoiding endless, empty, wicked speech? And I don't know. Maybe there's something or someone in your life where you have just turned off the filter and you have let the sewage pour out of your mouth. And maybe it's time to say, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not going to talk like that anymore. You know, there are times in every marriage where one person is really struggling in life and what they're saying about life or someone else, and a spouse has to come alongside them and say, look, I know you're upset. Uh, We don't talk that way in this house, okay? Come on, let's get the filter back in. You know, you might need to tell a friend or a family member, uh, hey, look, I I know you're just kind of unloading. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I I want you to be wise in this situation. I love you, um, but hey, let's get the filter back installed. 
Don't speak endless, empty, wicked things. Remember the Bible says every careless word will be brought into the judgment. And jot this down. Don't be lazy. Don't empower or rely on fools. Don't speak endless, empty, wicked things. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. We're back to the work ethic here in verse 18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. You can see it in the house. Now, I know you're all feeling guilty right now because there's something in your house you've been neglecting, all right? Look, I'm the chief offender. When I was inviting 100 people to church yesterday, a lot of people had their garages open, and I got garage envy. I was like, like I'm walking up to the door, and then I'm like, oh, that's what a clean garage looks like. And there was one guy in his garage, and I just started asking him questions. I'm like, how do you keep your garage so clean? And he, oh, he loved to tell me. And he was great conversation. He's like a trustee in the township, and he's telling me, and he's got this impeccable floor that shines, and I'm like, I've got some cracks in my floor, and so I got some work to do on the house. I don't want you to feel guilty. I just want you to be able to assess how are we doing at combating laziness, because even though life is hard and people are unfair, we are not to become complacent or careless or lazy. How are you doing with that? When it comes to work, how's your attitude and your words about work? Um, here's, here's a quote from a British humorist named Jerome K. Jerome. There's a name. He says, I like work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. <laughs> Maybe that's you. You're struggling to get motivated, struggling to stay motivated, especially if you've been, you know, working from home or hybrid. You might be like, I'm just struggling with productivity. Um, it says here, through sloth, the roof sinks in. Here's a picture. You know what a sloth is, right? And the, the, the goal is to not become that. The goal is to not become that. Okay. Verse 19, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. They don't know what is meant by this. It could mean that um, there, there are verses that talk about just enjoying life. It Maybe if it's tied into the context here, it means that if you want to enjoy life, you have to have bread you have to have wine and you have to have money. And if you're a sloth, you won't have those things. So there could be a tie in there, okay? Like get to work, fix your house, do a good job. Then you can have a good meal. You can even have people over and you're going to have money to do things. It seems like that's likely what's being said. And then in verse 20, it says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. The idea here could also be that if you are lazy, you're going to get blown up by your supervisor, you're going to lose your job, you won't have money. Or if you're gossiping, a little birdie is going to carry what you said and it's going to get you in trouble. Either your laziness or your words can cost you your job and now you're going to be poor. It could all tie together, but as a rule, Christians are to be hardworking, reliable, not lazy at home. Hey, how can I help? At work, hey, how can I excel? And at church, you know, we make disciples who worship Christ, walk with Christ, witness for Christ, and work, work for Christ. So often people are used to being in churches in the past where it was kind of like low bar. Like, well, whatever, it's just church. It's just church. So there's kind of this understanding that you can just do the least or not do a good job or um, and we really challenge people because we're serving a king to do your best to present yourself as a workman approved who doesn't need to be ashamed are you doing your best 
First of all, have you kind of joined a ministry team if this is going to be your church home? Have you said, hey, put me to work. What can I do? Every week we have people telling us, I'm ready to start serving Christ again. And then do you bring an attitude of, I'm going to do great. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to prepare in advance. Like, this is for a king. How's your work ethic? Don't be lazy and let's work hard for Christ. Okay, so number one, life is uncertain and full of peril, so be wise. By reacting calmly in a crisis, even though misfortune will find you, by choosing your words carefully and working hard and being responsible. Number two, life is uncertain and full of peril, so don't be foolish. Don't empower or rely on fools. Don't speak endless, empty, wicked things. Don't be lazy. And then number three, we're going to talk about eternity. Generally in the context, here's the point. Write this down. Life is uncertain and full of peril, so prepare for eternity. All of these proverbs in the context, Solomon is saying, are just getting you ready for the inevitable when you cross over into the next life. We know that because in chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that's your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. The idea is you have this chance. Time is going to come when your shot is over and you will pass over into the next life. Now I want to take us into the New Testament to close out this thought. Because Solomon's search for meaning led him time and time again to his own grave. Do you know that Solomon's dad was who? Who was Solomon's dad? King David. Do you know God made a promise to King David? God promised that one of David's descendants would sit on the throne forever. Forever. And I wonder if Solomon at one point maybe thought he would be granted immortality. He would be that divine king. And uh, the day came when he looked in the mirror and he's like, nope, <laughs> it ain't me. I'm breaking down and I'm moving along. Imagine if he had thought that he was going to be that king who would never die. Imagine if that kind of got him down this life of like, well, what do I have to worry about? I'm going to live forever. And then imagine if the day came when he was like, uh, I'm actually going to be judged by God. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Life is uncertain and full of peril, so prepare for eternity. Hey, jot this down. Jesus, not Solomon, is the full and final wisdom from God. Jesus is the full and final wisdom from God. In the New Testament, it says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If I hid a box of gold in this church that was worth $5 million, and I said the first person to find it keeps it, you wouldn't leave. You'd be looking. And the Bible says Jesus is all the treasure of the wisdom of God. He's a mountain of gold. The idea there is he's the only one who can give you a comprehensive understanding of how to live, how to die, and what comes next. You know, we heard people give their testimony in the baptistry this morning, and I wonder if you have a testimony. I wonder if you could share in one sentence how and when and where you gave your life to Jesus. Now, careful, I didn't ask what church you're a part of or what religious education you went to. 
or what your personal thoughts are about the spiritual force behind the universe. I said, do you know Jesus? When in your life did you meet Jesus, and when did he become your Savior and your King? Has that happened yet? God wants you to discover the wisdom and purpose of God, the meaning of life in Jesus Christ. Jot this down. Only Jesus can overrule your folly and give you eternal life. We're all fools doomed to destruction. Only Jesus can overrule our folly and give us eternal life. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Hey, do you know that Ecclesiastes sounds a lot like Solomon's testimony? Sounds like he tried everything and he kept coming back to the reality that he needed to live for God. Life seems to be pointless because it's fleeting. It's repetitive and dull. It doesn't satisfy and we will soon all be forgotten. The longer we live, the more we will suffer and the less we will truly understand the point of it all. Only Jesus can fill your life with joy. Because he came from heaven to build an eternal kingdom to rescue you from darkness and to give you hope. Hey, are you born again? Are you saved? Are you going to heaven? I want to give you a chance right now to respond to what you've heard. Your search can end right now when you abandon all dead ends and admit you need a savior. Then the adventure of a lifetime will truly begin. When you follow Jesus down every up and down here, and then one day you cross over that dark river of death, and then the glory begins. Let's pray. Jesus, I know there are some here this morning. Maybe they've been watching online. They've tried everything, and nothing works. Their life is less full, less complete, less stable, less prosperous, less satisfying than it was before. And they're tempted to lose heart. Maybe because of it, they have walked down many foolish paths. They have been foolish in relationships. They've been foolish with jobs. They've been foolish with church. They've tried even the bad roads and they're still not satisfied. Here and now, today, you have brought them to hear that it's only through a life-giving relationship with the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, that their life can make sense. That it can count, that it can matter, and that it can be joyful no matter what happens. That they can actually find strength to be wise, power that they've never had before. Lord, there are people I know right now who are saying, I want that. And I pray that in their own heart, they would talk to you right now. That's all prayer is, talking to God. And I pray in their heart that they would say this with me right now. Oh, Jesus. You can say that in your heart right now. Oh, Jesus, save me from my sins. Wash away all of my foolishness. Come into my life. Promise me paradise. Teach me how to live to please you. Make my life count. Make my life full. On the highest days, 
Take me even higher, and on the lowest days, light up the darkness. Jesus, be my Lord. I pray that you would encourage anyone who prayed that right now, Jesus, that you will never leave them, you will never forsake them. And I pray this all in your mighty name. Amen.